Hello and welcome to Universal Voices Podcast, a podcast that is dedicated to sharing the depth of wisdom, faith, and goodness found in the Universal Catholic Church. I'm your host, Elisa Molina. Let's jump in. Welcome back to Universal Voices Podcast miniseries. I am thrilled today uh, to welcome Mary Ellen Mitchell. She is, um, man, I just, it was very random how we met. She actually just, quote unquote, met. She actually just sent me an email asking me something completely different. And then I was like, well, that's an interesting question. You want to hop on a call? So then we did a Zoom call inadvertently also, I think. I think we were trying to do a phone call. Um, But we did a Zoom call, which was even, it was just like right on, like is what we both needed. We talked for I want to say an hour and a half, almost two hours. Um, and and in that, I learned about her work, which is part of what we'll be talking about today. So I just want to begin by welcoming you, Mary Ellen. How are you today? I'm good. Glad to be here. Glad to have figured out how to use the podcast technology. <laughs> it took us a little bit. But this is our third try. It yeah. Is. But man, we, I, we are ready. I, I keep like that whole phone call. Once I realized that I was like, oh no, 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 this cannot just be for me. It has to be for everyone. Will you come on the podcast? Once I realized that, um, I was like, nothing, one, nothing is going to stop me for having this. And two, I'm glad you were persevering. Uh, two, I was, I kept wanting to tell you to stop talking when we were talking because I was like, wait, wait, you're going to have to say that again for like everybody. And then just right now, before we hopped on, I was like, okay, okay stop, stop. Like, <laughs> let, me, <laughs> let me press record because this is just so, uh, it's just so lovely. All the work. Um, yeah, that's being done. Um, so let me, let me start with this. Um, I ask everybody three questions and the first one is tell me one thing that makes you, you. So I I did a little surveying on this one with my people and the response that came back was the ability to juggle chaos and order. So I, 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 uh, I, I kind of constantly live between the tension of those two things um and like i'm a person that can come across as really chaotic or really orderly depending on the situation um so i don't i don't necessarily decamp in either one um and i think underneath that is a capacity to hope for better with the ability to also have like an on the ground and can do spirit. So like I can hope and like be in that like big picture, the world can be better, we can be better, like big ideas, but I also am like, and here's the 10 things we're going to do to get there. Right. Like this is actually where I am right now today in the middle of this chaos. (laughs) chaos. <laughs> yes. So I'm just going to like, I'm going to apply those big things kind of where I am. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and this would like to be able to come down from the sky and be like, and this is the first step. So I find, you know, a lot of people are either in one camp, like they're big picture people or they're like type A kind of like orderly types. And, and like that, I, I do think I'm kind of unique in being able to move between. Yeah. Yeah. 
Okay, so um, what is one thing that you bring to the Catholic Church? So along the lines of my kind of order chaos balance, I think I bring a, a balance between an appreciation for order and an openness to surprise. So maybe a better word for surprise would be the Holy Spirit. So like I, um, I really appreciate the mass and just the givenness of the order of the mass, but I'm also, I was raised, um, Pentecostal. So I'm a convert Oh, I and didn't I know can that. really, That's the one thing we didn't talk about. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I'm, I am an adult convert. And so I think I, um, I do have a kind of unique appreciation for the surprising nature of the Holy Spirit. Um, and I think I often find myself in the church, like uh, toggling between the left side of the church and the more right or conservative side of the church. So I think I, that's yeah. part of why we just. Yeah. Like we I, felt, we felt each other on this one. Like, like we were like, we were like kindred from like, the word go because yeah. I and just how succinctly you said that is so like I find such a home in those words like yes get me to mass and also get me on the streets and I don't I don't know if those are like I don't I don't think they are in opposition um but it is really really hard kind of in the world we live in to hold them at the same time. Yeah, yeah. And I think as I've grown into Catholicism, into adulthood, and especially parenting, like I have really appreciated a lot of the ecclesial gifts that the more conservative side of the church brings. Um, but it's not really, you know, our kids go to a more conservative school, um, but it's not the way we really live. I mean, we live, our life is very embodied in a a neighborhood in being with people that are in crisis and on the margins. Um, and sometimes I feel like I kind of have a foot in two worlds there. Like I can appreciate the ecclesial hierarchy and the order it brings while I'm also just like always looking for what the Holy spirit is, is guiding us toward in terms of true North. So <sighs> yeah. Yeah. Both of those things sound so lovely. And I, yeah. And I just feel like the work at hand is to marry the two. Um, Cause it just feels like that's what Jesus. That's what Jesus did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He was like really good at it. <laughs> he was really good at it. Yeah. I mean, he was God and all, but like. I know. Like, well, and let's just, re I remember that. Like when I'm like, uh, this seems like a really beautiful mix. You know, I was listening to one of the other podcasts about listen, about watching The Chosen, and I I haven't watched. I only watched season one, but there were just these times where I was like, like seeing it like lived out, like this like go into the crowds, retreat from the crowds. You know, right. like I was just like, it's just like such a gentle dance, and yeah, like of course this is who God is. <laughs> this right. is really hard. 
it's like it's like why do you make it look so gentle and I like am stumbling around falling on my face and like yeah when I try to be prophetic it just sounds stupid yeah <laughs> like dragging myself there like okay all right you're God I'm not got it got yeah it. when I try to be graceful it's just being more of a pushover like yeah, yeah. like not being able to hold like mm-hmm. like grace and mercy and justice all at the same time yeah um what is so kind of in that vein like what what is one thing that the church brings to you or gives to you well I mean I think the the reality of this big tent church is a place where all of what I've just talked about can be held so I don't feel like I never feel like I have to leave the church to find places that are more oriented towards social justice, places that are more oriented towards the charismatic, places that are more oriented towards um, an inward journey and meditation, like all of that is available within the Catholic church. Um, yeah. You know, I really appreciate the predictability of the liturgy and like the, um, you know, that you, that to some extent, you know, what you're going to get when you show up, but kind of back to what we've already been saying. I also am just like really kind of intrigued with things like Eucharistic miracles or the never ending mystery of transubstantiation. So I just feel like I will never outgrow the Catholic church and I will never stop being surprised by Catholicism. Yeah, exactly. It, I just, um, the last interview that I did was uh, with a young person. And one of the things that he said that was just so wise is like, there's a billion of us. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. He was like, there's a billion of us. So the idea that we don't all see eye to eye or interpret things like yeah. exactly the same. And so this is kind of, this kind of uh, works here also. Like there's a billion of us. So that there's beauty in this idea that everybody's passions have a place to exist in the universality of this global church. Yeah. And, and then, and then in it, like the, the width and the depth of any given mass experience. So, you know, whenever we go on vacation or we go, like I was on a sabbatical last semester and I was living in a small town in New Mexico, like there's a, there is going to be a Catholic church someplace pretty close and you're going to just go to that church. You know, you're not going to pick it, try to find for short term things like, oh, I really like this pastor or this, their politics or whatever. So you just show up and you don't know who you're worshiping with, if they agree with you politically, if they agree with you um, about what it means to follow Jesus, but like they want to be there and you want to be there and you're taking the Eucharist together. And I just don't know that there's very many places left, especially in the United States where that could be true. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So there are any number of things that we could just really kind of dive into, but while we were, while, while we were meeting for that first time, um, I was just so incredibly intrigued and really just filled with hope, um, because of your work. So could you tell everyone a little bit about 
what what it is that you do on a daily basis and where you do it? Okay, so I am the director, well, co-director with another woman of Lydia's House, and we are in Cincinnati, Ohio. Uh, Lydia's House is a Catholic worker house of hospitality, um, which is kind of a, a framework that uh, is not officially endorsed by that Catholic hierarchy, but a loose network of faith-based houses that are mostly in the United States that offer some kind of housing support services, usually to people that are homeless. And so in our case, we offer um, a shelter, aftercare services, affordable housing, child enrichment programs um, to single mother-headed households where the mom is typically age 18 to 25 and the kids are anywhere from six weeks in utero to usually about age five. Um, Occasionally we'll have an older kid. And so our moms are coming to us in shelter from some kind of homelessness situation. um, And then they may stay in community with us for years. So a typical shelter stay for us is about 90 days. we own 12 units of affordable housing where people can then move from shelter to that housing and stay for up to three years. We have a partner preschool where they could enroll their kids using childcare vouchers in this preschool. It's a Montessori preschool. It's in one of our buildings. We have an atrium religious education program where uh, the children can voluntarily come to catechesis of the Good Shepherd programming. We have a whole litany of kind of spiritual um, practices and programs that families can get involved in. We do quite a bit with enrichment activities beyond that, outings, field trips, camps. Uh, We have a car program where families, if they are looking to buy a car and get out of the kind of predatory lending car purchase situation, they can buy it through a lender that we have a relationship with. So we've been in, in, deep and wide in the trenches with uh, single mother-headed families for 10 years. <sighs> so like, I just need everybody who's listening to just like take a deep breath like I did and just kind of sit with the idea that this place actually exists. Um, I don't know if it's because my husband and I, Um, My husband's a teacher and I was a teacher um, for my first kind of five years out of college. The the two of us have always been um, really in communities where um, the types of things that you're talking about are just really, really helpful and needed, but at the same time are also super complicated, kind of hard to maneuver. And I think that hearing you talk about Lydia's house, I think in my brain, I just kind of pictured um, something like a new way of going about things, both secularly and in the church that makes a path for um, like the path from um corporal works and spiritual works of mercy not being such a far leap if that makes sense at all Mm. it it, it just I guess in my experience and in the experience that I've I've seen with my husband in the schools that we've they've been public schools right um I I don't really even know of a whole lot of at least in our area um 
I don't know a lot of private schools that serve um, communities um, that are under-resourced. Generally speaking, these are places that you got to either have money or a scholarship. And so I've never seen a situation where it isn't just incredibly hard to love folks well. <laughs> yeah. And, I, you know, it's interesting that you frame it that way, because when Peter Morin and Dorothy Day started the Catholic Worker Movement, they were in a very impoverished area of New York City around the Great Depression. And Peter was kind of more of a theologian and Dorothy was like a... Um, a journalist with communist roots who had converted to Catholicism as a, as a hope for a new way of being. And Peter said about the house, we want to create a place where it's easier to be good. Oh gosh. You see, Oh gosh. Okay. Yeah. That I'm, I've, I've never cried on one of these podcasts, but you're getting me close. Um, (laughs) It just sometimes doesn't feel so easy to just, be good like find that yeah and I won't say that running this has been easy (laughs) so let me be clear it hasn't (laughs) it hasn't it hasn't necessarily been the easiest for us that are in charge to be good Um, but I think what Dorothy Day and Peter Morin kind of did was they created a framework to say like here's a way you could do this with these kind of small houses and then they're often very heavily um, staffed with people of faith who are volunteers. And I think we do create a framework for those people to step into something that is meaningful and to do good in the world in a way that feels whole, um, which might be different than like occasionally going to volunteer. I mean, a big one around here, we have this ministry called Matthew 25, where they package stuff up and send it to other places. I don't know all the details, except that, you know, our kids school is gone, but you're basically just handling stuff. Um, and I think it, 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 it works well for Catholic school groups because, you know, uh, it's kind of easy right? as far as like small box, you know, but, um, and safer, safer, safer. Right. Right. Yeah. But, it's hard to ever get um, volunteer opportunities where you're going to have any kind of like encounter. Um, So we are one of like, I'll tell families, like we're one of the few places where a family could come together, cook a meal in our shelter, stay and eat with our families and like have this more like holistic experience. You won't be in a soup line. We're always kind of small, I'm not saying it's going to be like deeply transformational one time, but you know, what we say to people is like the way that this can change you is to make a commitment to us, you know? So we've had some people that come every Wednesday for years, things like that. So yeah, we're just creating this framework for people to be able to step into. Um, And then also I think all for our families that we serve also, it's a place where we hope it makes it easier for them to be and do good. Like we're, we're putting them in a framework where they can make better choices, where they can parent in the way they want to parent, where they can offer the kids the things they, they want to offer. So it's like, we're, we're, we, we, yeah, we put these kind of guardrails around this experience that allows people to, to 
be a better version of themselves. One of the things that has really kind of broken me way down was pray the lit- the litany of humility for like I don't know six months and <laughs> nothing like praying for humility. Jesus, <laughs> Just Jesus try, try like, praying for patience next. Yeah, Jesus is like hold oh, my wine, girl. Um, many many opportunities um to 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 gain humility and one of the one of the things that I realized was a lot of my service was oriented to myself. Mm. And so I'll never forget, we have this, uh, at our parish, we have this program called, um, or we have this initiative that comes out of like a larger initiative in Austin called Mobile Loaves and Fishes. And it's a truck that goes around and feeds and, and feeds, uh, lunches to, to the hungry. Um, and I would always take my confirmation students. And I remember one time, uh, taking them out to um, afford this affordable housing neighborhood. And while they were doing work, like I walked, I got real mad because there was a dumpster that was like overflowing. I was mad at the city because they're not like coming to take care of this, you know, prioritizing this space. So I went over to take a, like to take a picture um, of the trash to post on Instagram so I could be all sanctimonious. And one of the ladies who was in line getting a meal as she was walking away, she kind of like, let me have it. And she was like, what are you doing? Why are you like, what is the purpose? And I remember like holding it together long enough to get back to church, get, let the kids go. And then just like really sitting on the car uh, on the curb and just like sobbing Mm. because Jesus was really asking me like, like, why are you in proximity with those I love most? It, is it for you to feel better about yourself? Or is it for you to learn from them how to be? You know mm. what I mean? And so it yeah. took a long time for me to learn that, like, I am not – Like, it's not like I'm not some sort of like, oh, watch me be very, very holy and and be very merciful with Mm. me showing up at this event and quote unquote loving my neighbor or loving the poor or loving the margins. Yeah. Um, um, So has how much of that feels like part of one, like maybe what you see in people coming in or is there, do you see that, that transformation or is that, has that happened for you? Like, gosh, I mean, the 10 years we've been doing this have just been like such a journey. I was meeting with a spiritual director this morning and I was like, sometimes I just have a hard time making sense of what all of this is because it's, there are some parts of it that have just been so humbling, so hard, so far from success. And I have to remember that like our journey is not a journey to some successful quote end, you know, it's not um, a journey of like some sort of Oprah's best life. It's a journey to holiness. And like, 
so, so many ways has this journey given me the opportunity to pick up my cross, to um, yeah, to be humbled by my inability to stay um, calm, to yeah, like I'm a pretty capable person in a small world, but this is, this world is a, is a just, it's, it's got a whole different set of rules. It's, it changes all the time. And, um, you know, there's nothing like kicking a family out of a homeless shelter to really put you sitting on the curb crying. And yet like you got to do that when you're on a homeless shelter because you can't run a place like this and not have rules. And I mean, we did it this week and I've been, I was gone on sabbatical last fall. So I right. was five months off. And so this is the like first right. time that I've been back in that kind of scenario in a while. And it's like, it never gets easy. You never get good at it. And, you know, I'm, I'm a, I'm an achiever. I get right good at things right. but you you just never get good at kicking a family out of a homeless shelter you never get good at uh responding to somebody failing a drug test who has custody of a two-year-old you know nearness yeah nearness just doesn't it just i'm learning nearness isn't tidy <laughs> like there is not tidiness to no the, uh -uh. the type of nearness that works called to. And I don't, I mean, I think that when Jesus was, um, near, I think maybe like we've sanitized it up a little bit, or maybe, or maybe like us reading the gospel from, you know, 2000 years of like, uh, distance. But every time I'm in proximity, um, I, um, I realize that, Hey, like you want a plan here. <laughs> you want, you do this, you do this, you do this and this. You, mean you as an Elisa. Yes. Yes. Like, yeah. I, I want a plan. like <laughs> yeah. yep. I'm trying to be in proximity here, Lord. I need yeah. you to, yep. this is very, this is a very painful situation or this is very like, un, this is not just, or this mm -hmm. family. I'm going to take, I'm going to take this picture. I'm going to fix this right. thing. Yeah. Right. And I just, I just need, I just need this to work out. It's supposed to work out. And he's like, no, 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 mm. oh, that's like not how it goes. <laughs> yeah. And that's not the goal. The goal, like I, that's the part where I, where like, that's the like epiphany, I think of this kind of work is like, it's not that the works of mercy aren't important, but I think God's biggest heart is for us individually as to make us holy, you know? Yeah. And so like not, and again, like not to say like, what, like this is my school of holiness or something like I, nothing else matters. I don't want to get too caught up on like my personal journey or anything. Like everyone's having a personal journey that's in this, like the family that I'm dealing with as we're, navigating an exit like they're having a personal journey too but it's like by rubbing up against each other in these hard ways by holding each other accountable to things that aren't 
what we want to do. Like all of this, I think, is a journey to holiness. And so, yeah, I just, it's, it's, it's not what I expected, you know, when I started. I did think I would fix a lot of things <laughs> external to myself. Yeah. And Jesus is like, nah, girl, I'm trying to fix you. Like, don't yes. worry. Like, I mean, that's what he is. Like, that is what he has done. It, when I offered him, like, really, really just offered him my life, it got a lot less linear. Yes. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. And I think that's a that's a journey that working with homeless families will take you on for sure. Right. Nothing is linear. Nothing is linear. No. And I remember in the beginning thinking it would be like we would chart some path or we got them these benefits and we got them a job and we got them an apartment. And like we went, we would go from, you know, life is not working to life is working. And then we would put them through some kind of like financial planning workshops so they could manage money. I mean, Right. And I had worked with homeless people before, but I still had this very idealistic vision of a, of a linear journey. And I remember like the second, third year being like, yeah, this is kind of circular. Like maybe it's like a circular, like spiral that's headed forward, but it's definitely not like a clear journey forward. Well, and we could get into just like how, how kind of living in the United States, we've been conditioned to look at like what success or like the linear path even is, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, that, that's another thing. Like, is it, was it ever meant to be? Was it ever meant to be? Yeah. Right. I mean, I just think all, all of this is the problem that we deal with. And I mean, you know, a lot of times I'll talk about kind of living in two worlds. So there's the, you know, different kinds of ways you can live in two worlds within the church. There's definitely the world also out here, like being like, well, the world of the poor and the world of like kind of the achieving middle class, like the values are very different. And Jesus speaks to that, you know, like yeah. blessed are the poor. Like that's what kind of what the Sermon on the Mount is about. Like it's right. just like, okay, we're not even, we're not even talking about the plane of things that you thought we were going to be talking about. You thought I was going to come as a king and overtake the Romans. That's not where we're at. You know, like there's a lot of, of things. So I think like the, the world of kind of, American upper middle class achiever stuff has like its fair share of brokenness. Oh, um, yeah. 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 And yeah, it was interesting to kind of start down this path and kind of be like, but even though I would have critiqued theologically that that, you know, achiever thing wasn't great. Um, I still think I thought I wanted to offer it to the families that we were serving. Right. Um, cause what else do you offer people? Um, and I think the, the extent to which they haven't taken me up on it, <laughs> is, yeah. uh, you know, it's humbling, but it's also just like, yeah. Well, you said something about wholeness early on and, and maybe like holiness and wholeness are like, are like the thing, you know what I mean? Because I think, I think. Jesus wants both of those things for us. Right. And that's why mm -hmm. like he, he made it about like, I'm going to take up your sin. I'm going to take on your sin. Um, mm, yeah. Because yeah. Yeah. Maybe it isn't about that linear path of like, you know, I get a job. I go, you know, like the things that we've always been told lead us to like, well-being and maybe it's more like this wonky weird circular or up and down or back and forth like 
wrestling with how to be holy and how to be whole and how to, in that nearness, offer those things to others. And not only like offer them to others, but also receive them from others. Yeah. Where does hope live in, in like, in your typical day? Because honestly, the, the, a 100% God's honest truth is that I, without hope, like without the, the hope of that, this is, this all is headed somewhere. Right. Um, then I would just, I would be not doing this. <laughs> I would say part of, that was part of the reason that we did kind of make a pivot into like the catechesis program is we were saying to ourselves, like, we need more places of hope. Um, now we serve young children and there is a, a certain um, just inevitability of joy that comes with young children. And I think that is always a place of hope for us. I mean, we do a lot of births, a lot of yeah. baby blessings. Uh, we've had baptisms. Mm. Man, if this isn't pro-life, I have no idea. And that's the thing is that like it almost feels like Lydia's house is the expansive definition of what I like. Yeah. If I could dream up a holistic version of pro-life or just like a whole life um, way forward, um, this is what the Catholic Church would be doing in every city. In every diocese, there would be a Lydia's house sponsored by the diocese in every single diocese in America or in the world. Yeah, I mean, it, it is interesting because I think being with families in crisis and welcoming life is a really different um, place of being like I'm like you have to posture yourself as in favor of life. Right. Because you're always having to be like, oh, gosh, they're in so much crisis, like a baby. Right. And so you have to believe that life is good because your other option is to believe that life is bad. There is no neutrality right. here. Right. So that has been very formative to me that to watch women choose to bring children. You know, we, we have learned over the course of our journey that most of the children um, are not accidents. Oh, and so yeah. like, this is the way that at this very far end of the margins in our, in, the, in our national context, anyway, um, that people are choosing to hope and choosing to build families. And they're not the way that I wanted to build a family. And they're not really the way they want to build families either. Right. They would like reliable partners. They would like commitment. But in the absence of those things seeming to have any any possibility, this is the, the way that people are saying yes to the life that God has given them yeah. um, and to the future. And that is, you know, I mean, you have to really believe that life is good and that it's good. Babies are good and children are good right. to keep coming into this. Uh, you know, and sometimes we've had moms, you know, on their fifth kid and you just have to really be like, you know, like the circumstances are not good. It's not good that the father is not stepping up to this role. It's not good that people are not living, um, 
you know, in sacramental marriage or committed, but that doesn't make children or the choice to have them or the, or like believing in the future bad. So yeah, I mean, it really does. It, the rubber really hits the road here and in this journey. And also this piece, I think I really, really, really respect foster parents. And I'm like, yes, please, we need good foster parents. But there is, it's a different journey to accompany a mother to parent her own children in ways that maybe I wouldn't parent. But right. that, you know, our church really affirms that, that the highest and best good is a, a, a family choosing to parent their own children right. and keeping families together. And that right. is mostly the work that we do. Well, and just, just this idea that like with all the services, like the wraparound services that you guys have there, it just feels like, um, kind of what we talked about before, like the two quote unquote, like versions of the church. It feels like Lydia's house in affirming, um, the dignity and the sanctity of every life, um, is the one hand. And on the other hand, it's like, and also bringing life, um, into the world requires life to be fed and clothed. And housed. Yes. Oh yeah. Yeah. And like that we, we are, you know, we accept the reality of government benefits, you know, I mean, we don't love them and I don't think families love being on them. And I've written some stuff and been part of advocacy panels that talk about the essential indignity of at least the way government benefits are structured and benefits cliffs and stuff like that. But we would be sunk trying to stabilize families right. without government benefits. So, yeah. Yeah. It just kind of is a whole, it just feels like a whole, like a way to go about things with the whole person in mind um, and not just like cutting them into like this piece or that piece. And we hear that a lot from our families that come here because they've often been through multiple iterations of different shelters. Um, you know, so we, we really try to be very whole person oriented. We're, we're selective on the front end, which makes us different than, other emergency shelters so for instance you have to be able to pass a drug screen well it's a little complicated but there's some some pieces to that you know to come in um mm -hmm. and yeah we have some criteria that you have to be able to pass to come in so we don't look like um the absolute kind of like most basic emergency shelter but once we accept a family and if they're able to follow kind of our rules and stay through you know, what is typically the 90 day stay, we really are behind that family indefinitely. So, uh, you know, when we opened the preschool, several families went to the preschool as did my kids. So we were in school together. And then, um, you know, we, because the, the buildings are on our block and it's also the block that I live in, we're all neighbors together. And you know, we're saying to people, like, there is no expiration date, really, for community with us. Oh, you guys should put that on a shirt. <laughs> we can, you can start making your book, Elisa. <laughs> there is no expiration on community. Like, yeah, that, that part right there. Um, yeah. Okay, so let me, before we kind of, because I want to close with you kind of giving it a, a little bit of information on like 
what if folks want to come alongside or what are some needs or if there's anything that folks who are listening might might want to um, get involved. Before that, when we were talking um, that first time, you mentioned um, CGS. So can you tell a, us a little bit about your CGS program um, and maybe just a little bit about CGS because some folks won't know what that is. Okay, so CGS is Catechesis of the Good Shepherd, and it is a children's catechesis program um, that was kind of spun off of or kind of done in collaboration with Maria Montessori uh, and the Montessori method. Um, But the kind of person that spearheaded it was named Sophia Cavalletti, and I'm pretty sure it was like kind of the middle 20th century when this was developed. Sophia was a biblical scholar who um, had been more in the world of adults. And then she, I think, was asked to support her godson through First Communion or Confirmation or, you know, one of the the rites of passage and realized how poorly catechized he was and thought, like, I could do better with this. And so she, she uses the Montessori kind of tactile method of, works and movable objects, but it's very much based in scripture and well-researched theologically. Um, The real emphasis in the program that we're doing, which is the three to six-year-old program, is the life and teaching of Jesus. So kind of the major events of the life of Jesus, the the visitation, the annunciation, uh, the birth, um, and then the parables also get a pretty significant um, place. And there's also just a few like major uh, symbols that rise to the top. And these have been kind of time tested over years and years in classrooms and classrooms around the world of small children learning catechesis. And so the primary central symbol is the Good Shepherd um, and the journey, like the child's journey from uh, the kind of metaphor parable of the Good Shepherd to like internalizing that as the good shepherd is Jesus. Um, So my children were doing the program at their school here in Cincinnati. And I was just really sold on it. Like, you know, every now and then you find something that you're like, this is it. Yeah. And I was just like, this is it. You know, like I have a master's degree in theology. I've done my fair share of Sunday school teaching and, children's programs and workbooks. And I was like, this is, this is the thing that I, you know, I wanted it enough for my kids that we drive them a fair distance every day to be in a catechesis kind of rooted school. Um, But then, you know, one of the real pieces of life for us in this deep proximity to families in crisis is that every time we have something good for our family, I want that for them too. And so like, I, I just always, like I had this sense for a long time of like, I want catechesis for our families. And so uh, in 2019, we started a training, uh, me and a staff person and a volunteer decided to do it. And the staff person was so talented in like the material making. And so she built out what they call the atrium, the full atrium program, um, which is just really labor intensive in terms of the materials. 
And we started it in our living room and we actually started it um, the COVID year. So we had, we had finished the training and we'd gotten everything together and um, just, and we decided, you know, we had gone through the spring and all the closures and stuff. And so we decided in September of 2020 that we would go ahead and move forward kind of at that point it had become clear that the risk to our age demographic of children was pretty low. So we did some of the precaution pieces and we started it in the living room of Lydia's house um, with like six kids. Um, and so since then we've been running it continuously. Um, and we, you know, I was telling you before we started the podcast, we had 25 kids last week. It was crazy. That's too many, but whatever, like the kids are coming, they're asking, to be prayed for they're asking to be baptized like and this is what you know the gospel tells us will happen so i think yeah when we talk about the the newness the hope like i i do get a lot of hope out of this program and this choice that we've made to allocate a fair amount of time and resources to it but i i think one of the things that all of this 10 year journey has taught me is like what I thought people wanted and needed isn't necessarily what they want and need and what they do want and need at their deepest core is also what I want and need at my deepest core. Um, so yeah, like I think we've just become a lot more open to offering a journey to spirituality for our families. Whereas in the beginning, we would have thought that was kind of heavy handed or, you know, there's a model that's called like pray to stay where certain Christian shelters make people have like a conversion experience to stay. And we didn't want to be affiliated with that at no, all. Yeah. But nor did we want to be like, oh, this is ours. This is our special thing. And you know, what you need is a food stamp card. Right. So yeah, I mean, I would say the thing that we've learned again and again and again is that the deepest piece of brokenness in our families and ourselves is is loneliness and the deepest desire is community and that so much of what the gospel teaches us is how to live together. So I just love this. I just love this idea that that it was like common sense for for you to be like, this is a really this really feeds a deep desire in me to make sure that my kids have um, an, an experience of God, um, a tactile one, a, a well thought out one, a beautiful one, like, and that your, your, your first thought was just like this, everybody should have this, like, right. Yeah, we all have this, we all have this de deep need, like you said, for like community and, um, and to know and to see Jesus, um, and to be near him and let him be near us. And that, like, that should be extended to just like everyone all the time. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we have, we have ecumenicized it. So we're not doing some of the works that are very specific to the Catholic church. Um, but it definitely is there's, it's adaptable to an unchurched audience for sure. 
And if anybody listening to this wants to know more, I'd be happy to share. I feel pretty strongly about it. Like, I'm just like, um, yeah, like this is, this is the work. Oh, absolutely. Because, and this is actually one of the things that I've said over and over recently, because I was in youth ministry for so long. I actually had a lunch with a priest recently and I just said, I'm here because I care deeply about the priesthood and you are a new priest and you're asking me about my thoughts on youth ministry. And I want you to know that I feel like youth ministry kind of as we've always known it, or at least how we've known it in the last many years is, is sort of dying. Um, and you have an opportunity to kind of be in like really like the next vein of youth ministry, which I think has a lot more to do with not like dressing up the gospel, like not raw rawing the, uh, the gospel, but just like really letting the gospel be the gospel. Yeah. Cause like, it doesn't need to be like, this church has made it 2000 years on the gospel. Right. Absolutely. Okay. So tell us a little bit about like, let's say there's somebody like me that just like spent this time listening to you and are like, oh my gosh, like how, cause I told you like we got off and I was like, okay, I'm coming to visit. Like that's it. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I don't know where I'm going to get the money, but I am going to invite a few people and we are going to go visit. Um, let's say there's some people like that, not necessarily, not necessarily for the visiting um, part, but like they are like, yes, how do I get involved? Well, I mean, if you're not in Cincinnati, it's a little tricky, but you could definitely check us out on the internet. And our website is St. S. T. Lydia's L Y D I A S house, H O U S E dot O R G. Um, and of course you can donate to us. Um, you know, right now we are raising money for our CGS program. We're contemplating um, expanding into level two because our kids are growing up. And so we need a six to nine program, which is a pretty big lift as far as building out another space. Um, so if, if someone is like, yeah, absolutely, I really want to get behind this, like that is something that we're kind of looking to do in the next couple of years. We're also putting an addition on the shelter. So any day now, God willing, uh, we're going to be, we bought the lot next door and we're going to be putting a giant um, dining room on and a staff living quarters and in the basement, um, hopefully a permanent space for the CGS program. So um, that that's funded, but we are looking to do um, an outside playground area for the shelter and our programming. So there's some projects that we're working on. And you can do that just through, you, you wouldn't choose, you know, most giving to us is just unrestricted giving, but if there's a give tab on our website, um, I'd say our biggest need right now though, and the need that like has me humbled in the, in before the Holy Spirit, reminding myself that I believe in a resurrected Christ is we really need help. Um, so we just, we have so much on our plate. Um, we definitely need someone on our team right now that has some administrative gifts. Um, and so we're just kind of opening ourselves up to that. I think the, the people that work best with us are people that have a vocation towards this work. Um, so we don't really work completely in, in like silos, like you're this and I'm that and whatever, but 
uh, yeah, we definitely need someone that's stronger on the bookkeeping finances side. We're doing okay. We're not drowning on it, but like, I think we could definitely do more programming wise if we had some strengths there. So if somebody was like, yeah, I, I have a vocation to this kind of ministry and I have those kinds of gifts, like reach out to me. I don't know if you can put like my email in the show notes or Sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So like, are you saying, let me, let me make sure this is clear. So, um, are you saying that you, you guys have, do you guys have both need for like an actual working position of like a, like a paid position and volunteers or what, what are your needs? Aside from that one piece, which would be more of a long-term paid position and could live on property or in the neighborhood. Um, we have the program called the fellowship program. And that's the thing that I've been reaching out to you about, which is a two year commitment. Uh, usually these are younger women, women in their twenties, but we've had people as young as 22, as old as our early forties do this position. Um, and this is more of a guest care position. So we need to hire two of those folks this summer to come and they definitely will live on property. Um, they're doing more of the shelter management, guest care accompaniment. One of those positions is stronger on the, um, ma- what we call maternal care side. And so we would do like uh, doula training. You might be doing direct delivery room birth accompaniment. A lot of the prenatal and postpartum trajectory navigation, getting people on Medicaid, being sure they're getting prenatal care, breastfeeding support, and all of the pieces that come to su- with supporting um, a mom or new mom in crisis. The other kind of fellowship position is what we're calling community ministry, and that's going to be more supporting our CGS program um, and also volunteers working with churches, bringing youth groups and doing a little bit of community education. Um, but like I said, everybody here, we kind of work as a team. So we have this kind of bigger administrative need that we're just putting out into the universe. And then we have this more formal fellowship program, which is posted on our website. Um, and that is a stipend that receives a stipend. So that it's a thousand dollars a month plus housing, healthcare, and a number of other benefits. Um, yeah. Wow. Do you think my, um, husband and five kids in Austin would, and rescue dog Buster would frown upon me taking that CGS one, like just like dipping for two years and being like, I'll be back. (laughs) Yeah, I know. It's not an awful company. I keep telling people it's not an awful compensation package. Yes, it's a stipend, but because we, we, we cover all of your expenses and we also give people each year an education award so they can use that towards taking current classes at the nearby Xavier University, which is a Jesuit college, or they could use that towards loans. So I think I like to believe it's a pretty decent compensation package. Oh, okay. So I, okay. So my wheels are turning. We're going to get this, like, we're going to get the Holy Spirit is going to get Lydia's house exactly what they need to continue there's too much and both. There's too much like, oh, this really looks like the heart of the gospel. (laughs) 
like it really looks like the heart of the gospel going on for us for um anything to stop um not on your watch not on the from here community i mean this is universal voices but like the from here community is expansive i know that you like we were you're an excellent writer and i know that we were um fortunate enough to have you write a piece for common horizon so like we're gonna hit this in as many places as we can i don't even know if maybe you'd be willing to come and do a from here session just to to like we might get we might just get you on a zoom and let you just <laughs> yeah I, I, am, I am in this real like my my faithful commitment right now is to plant the seeds you know, and I know that God has to give the growth and that's a really vulnerable position. We've been here before. It's just been a while um, because we kind of were in COVID and then we we kind of created this fellowship position and we got some good applicants like right away. So there's a certain vulnerability right now to be like, God has to give the growth. And that is such a hard place to be in when you have this much infrastructure. I was listening to how you said there was like a woman in your volunteer community that like prays for you while she wipes her counters. Like I welcome people to be that for us. Yeah, I just I am like fiercely protective of Lydia's house and I have not even stepped one foot. This is just so central to who we are as Catholics that it gives me like a lot of hope that um, that even that it even exists, much less to the scale Thank you so much for coming in and for all you're doing and for um, the way that you're receiving folks. And um, yeah, we will definitely talk again. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Elisa. And I, yeah, I'll follow up with the things that you ask for. But I, uh, yeah, I, I wanted to say too, like every time I encounter something that you do, whether it's the emails you send out, your magazine, it too is a really hopeful space for me. Like just that you you've been able to bring together so many different kinds of people around the good news of the gospel. And like, you don't, it doesn't feel contrived. It doesn't feel echo chambery. Yeah. Just, there's just not much out there like that. So thank you for being faithful to that call. Oh, thank you. 